minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. If nature calls, somebody knocks on the door and wants a cup of sugar or maybe some powder, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au over the next few weeks. My name is Joseph Toscano and I'm hosting today's program. If you wonder what anarchy is all about... An anarchist, simple definition. It's the most simple definition in the universe. It means without rulers. That's the key word. Anarchos, without rulers. And we're told if there are no rulers, because we're all tainted with original sin, we're all going to rape, murder, pillage and rob each other, aren't we? Well, if you look at human history... You'll see who the rapists, murderers and pillagers are. It's usually those people who are rule, who assert their authority for a, a monopoly on the use of force. But, so that's what an anarchist society is. It's a society where the people involved in that community make those decisions. It's a society without rulers. Not without rules, but without rulers. Very simple. And how do you create a society without rulers? What gives a ruler power? Simple again. Inequalities in power and wealth. The more hierarchical a society, the greater the power that is wielded by one person. The greater the power that is wielded by one person, the greater the potential for mass disaster as we've seen during the 20th century. Think about it. And wealth, growing inequalities in wealth, cause social division and eventual chaos. So it's about holding wealth in common and using wealth for the common good, not for individual gain. Simple concepts. So it's about equal power, it's about equal wealth. It's about how do you create a society without rulers? How do you fulfil people's expectations and needs? in a society where you don't have rulers. It doesn't mean chaos. I mean, we're told if there are no rulers, there's a power vacuum, and that power vacuum is filled by uh, self-appointed thugs, as we see in many situations, trying to lord it over other people. But that does not need to occur. It doesn't have to occur. It is a byproduct 
of society in chaos, but not a byproduct of society, with a political and social movement that wants to create a society without rulers. All right, let's move on after the uh, Anarchist 101 lecture. <clears throat> now, things happen in life. And what I attempt to do on this program is give it some meaning, essence, clarity. And uh, I think the whole of Australia is aware of how five people, ranging in age from three to 88, were killed in the Melbourne CBD on Friday the 20th of January and how significant injuries, some critical, sustained by another 20 to 25 people who were basically mowed down by a, a person using a car as a weapon. So how do you make sense of this? How do you make sense of it? Now, we have a problem. When I use the word we, society has a problem. Now, I have no idea what was going on in the mind of the perpetrator. And I'm not here to cast stones at the police response or the bail justice who gave that, who gave that individual bail over another issue. You know, but that seems to be the focus of the government, of the, of the state government and the public, you know. Why didn't the police stop the car? Why did the bail justice, you know, give this man, <clears throat> you know, bail? Well, obviously, they're, they're, they're important issues, but I don't see that as the central issue. Because just in the city of Melbourne over the past few years, we have had some horrific murders. Horrific murders. Horrific situations develop. And during the period of public anger, which lasts a week or two, fanned by the uh, gutter press, you find that after a few weeks everything is dissipated and the only people who basically carry the can are those who lost children and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and uncles and aunts and people who had known these people, they carry that pain for the rest of their lives. I mean, people say that time heals all wounds. Well, time doesn't heal all wounds. It does heal the wounds of people who are not directly involved in a disastrous situation, but it doesn't really heal the wounds of those who have to carry that pain for eternity. I mean, in a few weeks' time, as we've seen in this city, and I am broadcasting from the city of Melbourne today, as we see, it'll all blow over. I mean, how many people remember the three deaths caused by a collapsed wall in Carlton a few years ago? How many people remember the people injured in a fire at the Commonwealth Bank in Springvale 
when a man set himself alight in the bank a few months ago. I mean, when a disaster happens, or a tragedy, or a mass murder, we have wall-to-wall media coverage. We see the public move, and it's obviously people want to do something. But by the time the dismay and the shock Within a few weeks, that dismay and shock just evaporates. Remember the tens of thousands of people who protested when ABC worker Jill Maher was brutally murdered by a man on bail with a rap sheet of raping women a mile long? Remember the murder of an 11-year-old boy by a father who had slipped through the cracks just a few years ago? I mean, I can continue to list horrific murders, and I'm sure everybody in every major city in this country can go through the same list. Now, you know, we have an interesting court system. A very interesting court system. Because the person who's been charged with these offences will basically appear in court maybe in August, possibly December, and it may take up to 2018 for the uh, issue to be resolved. And usually the coroner's court doesn't conduct an investigation till after the court process has been exhausted, although in this situation the coroner's court has will be conducting an investigation into the police response in the next uh, week or so. So I think, believe, think, more think than believe. I mean, belief is really based on nothing, is it? Think. That we need a new body, a new state-funded body, regulation, legislation, to create a new body, a permanent state government-funded funded investigative body whose main function is not to apportion blame or has any role in determining innocence or guilt or takes over the role of the coroner. But an investigative, government-funded body set up within a legislative framework that has the power to look at what preceded what preceded what events preceded the tragedy those horrific acts what events preceded a father bludgeoning his his 11 12 year old boy with a cricket bat in a public space. What preceded the man who's allegedly facing charges of murder about what happened in the Melbourne CBD on Friday? What preceded the murder of Jill Maher? And the list goes on and on. Because by the time 
all the current judicial and coronial processes are completed, the community has moved on to the next tragedy, the next issue. And we never seem to learn from the shortcomings of the past. We never seem to learn. Because there is no process via which an investigation can be held, although theoretically the coroner's court does have that power. But obviously the coroner's court has many other issues to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So there seems to be no investigative organisation that has the judicial power, the legislative power and the resources to look at what happened, what preceded that carnage, what preceded, what drove the actions of the person or people responsible, what drove their actions and what measures can be put in place, not on an individual basis but as a society, to attempt to prevent this happening again. And that's the key. It would be a public, not a privately held uh, inquiry behind closed doors, but a public inquiry. You could actually look at each step. Because remember, this person who's been charged is also allegedly charged with stabbing his brother 24 hours previously and charged with you know, assaulting his stepfather the week previously. And the list goes on and on. Because people take actions for a variety of reasons. So if we somehow could see the, the gaps, the gaps, the institutional gaps that have been created or that occur which allow a progression of events which leads to a mass tragedy to occur, possibly, maybe, maybe in the future, we could actually prevent it or minimise it because too many of these so-called mass tragedies are occurring. Too many. But we seem to forget as we roll from one to the other. So it's a fort. It's a fort bubble. Something for people to think about. Look, I understand the court processes are long and tedious. They're long and tedious for a very good reason to take the emotion out of the situation, although you can never take the emotion out of the uh, murder of a three-month-old child. So think about it. Think about it. Call your politicians. Call your state member. More importantly, write them a letter or an email. Put your thoughts down on paper. Tell them what you think. I mean, the Premier of Victoria said everything's on the table. Why not this investigative body? 
there are always cracks in a system which lead to these type of horrendous events. And we need to be able to identify those cracks so they can be fixed, not papered over, till the next mass tragedy. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scanner. I'm hosting today's program. If you'd like to give me a call, 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Look, I'm not going to answer the phone straight away. Leave a message, please. 0439 395 489. I will get back to you. Write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to my uh, personal Facebook page and become a friend like me. Uh, Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, the number for the public. Toscano, for the public. All the things I'm involved in, political things, you won't find out what I had for tea and what type of toilet paper I use by looking at my Facebook page, but you will find out what type of political, social activities that are. I'm involved in. Have a look at the Facebook page. It's quite interesting. Uh, I'm trying to do a thought bubble a day, sometimes about five or six a week, just looking at issues on a daily basis, four or five hundred words. People tell me you can't do that on Facebook. It's my Facebook page. I do what I like with it, all right? So uh, this foot bubble on this investigative body will be up in the next two or three days. But, uh, you know, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. Now, have you joined public interest before corporate interest? Now, over... Around 700 people have currently joined, 300, we've now passed the 300 mark, 300 are on the electoral roll and have done all the bits and pieces, we've got all the information we require to use their membership uh, in our application as a federal political party. We need another 250, that's not many, 250. So, make a difference. You can rave, you can complain, you can be an internet warrior and nobody particularly cares. Really, do they? But you can make a difference. You can put your future, the future of your children, your grandchildren, and Australia before the interests of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, not just their mum and dad investors, but their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national damage they cause. So I encourage you, to join public interest before corporate interest. On the electoral roll, wonderful. Not on the electoral roll, wonderful. So join public interest before corporate interest. Go to the website, download the application form, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Have a look at it. You agree? Join? You disagree? Don't join. You can write for an application form, write to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Or you can ring me on 0439 395 489. Leave a message and I'll get back to you in the next 24 hours. Send you out some application forms. All right, so public interest before corporate interest is there. They will be the uh, southern branch. Will be outside Centrelink in Frankston on Thursday the 2nd of February from 10.30 to 12.30. They'll be there for two hours. I mean, they'll be talking to uh, P. 
people using the Centrelink offices and the other government offices in the building there, across the road from the uh, City Council. Fascinating people, members of Pipsy, have a chat to them if you're in the area, haven't joined, have a chat to them about joining. I'm sure they will give you all the information that's required. If uh, you want to find out what it's all about, go back to the Toscano for the Public website or the Anarchism Institute website, AMI, or the Pipsy website. Have a look at the uh, new leaflet, uh, Federal Government Declares War on Social Security Recipients. Look, we can only do so much as individuals, but as a group, as a registered political party, we may be able to do a little bit more than we can do as disparate individuals because really nobody's particularly interested in what you or I think. We're not in positions of authority. Ring up a government department, ring up your local MP and see how far you get. But as a member of a uh, reformist radical political party, maybe we'll have a little bit more push. And if that's something I've noticed over the years, that uh, you can have a bit more push when you're organised. I mean, uh, we still use direct action, still interested in community boycotts, but sometimes you need to, you know, get into the uh, political process to get somewhere on certain issues. Talking about issues, fascinating, isn't it? The first thought bubble for 2017 I did was uh, housing affordability is the main issue for the 2017 in the land of the land of Oz, the land down under. And guess what? Everybody's saying it now because it is the main issue. It's not because I'm a genius. Far from it. I mean, anybody, anybody, even a Martian who knew nothing about planet Earth could have determined that housing affordability is the main issue in this country today. In an era and a society where there was an expectation that if you worked hard for 25 years, you'd own your own home, there was an expectation that you could get a deposit together to get into the property market to hear today that over 50% of Australians will never own their own home, that rents continue to increase, that the median house prices continue to increase to such a degree there. I think there are about 785,000 and over 850 in Melbourne, over 850,000 in Sydney. And that means 50% of prices are above $850,000 you know we've got a problem. And you know you've got a problem when there's only, in the city of Melbourne, there are only 25 properties available for people who could afford them on Social Security benefits. No wonder homelessness becomes an issue. It doesn't matter what Mr Dor, the Lord Mayor, wants to do and whether he's got the support of the council, which I doubt, in terms of outlawing homelessness, you know, it's not going to go away. It's going to become a more and more pressing issue. So last year, public interest before corporate interests joined up. We were asked to coordinate a campaign for Friends of Public Housing. We were asked to coordinate a campaign because over the last 10 years, public housing stocks have diminished by 10,000 across the nation. That in Victoria, the area I'm familiar with, that only 3% of Victorians actually have access to public housing stocks. And the list goes on and on. Housing affordability is an issue. And the private market cannot resolve the issue. And you can't resolve the issue by tinkering at the edges and changing legislative investment requirements as far as housing is concerned. 
if you want a strong if, sorry if you want affordable housing you need a strong public housing sector at least 10% of every house in this country should be a public house which is administered by state governments and federal governments, not social housing, not community housing, which are, in, which, which are administered and owned by privately owned uh, organisations, some for profit, some not for profit, but publicly owned and maintained housing. I mean, the whole purpose of creating a public housing sector in the 50s, 60s and 70s was to clear out the slums was to solve the problems of homelessness. And the fact that these public, public housing estates are now run down, there's not enough resources to keep them going, and that governments around the country are privatising public housing or giving away the titles to community and social housing providers, you know, is, is, is really a, an indication of what happens when governments refuse to look after the interests of the people they rule. And that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing this globalisation, corporatisation, privatisation, deregulation mantra dominate every aspect of human existence on the planet, not just Australia on the planet. And as far as housing is concerned, the best way to increase homelessness, increase rents, increase private, uh, increase... um, home ownership costs, is to leave it to the private sector, leave it to a manipulated marketplace. And that's what we're seeing today in Australia is the legacy, the legacy of the seeds that have been sown, leaving the provision of housing to the private sector or the not-for-profit you know, community sector. Problems compound. They don't get better, they compound. It doesn't matter how much the you know, corporate-owned media you know, rails against homelessness. It doesn't mean any laws you pass. The issue is still there. You're not going to get the, rid of the issue until you build more public housing. Obviously, a lot of people who are homeless have other issues, but the best way to tackle these issues is to put a roof over somebody's head. Once you've got a roof over their head, then you can actually tackle the other issues, you know, which led them to that situation in the first place. So public interest before corporate interest, as I said you know, has now agreed and has conducted two campaigns, two mass rallies outside Parliament House in Victoria, Spring Street in the city. And we will be organising these gatherings, these rallies outside Parliament House till the end of 2018, till the next Victorian state election, and we encourage people across the country, in every state and every territory, to create, to establish a defend and extend public housing group, which is involved in activities that, one, highlight the issue, but more importantly, that, two, put direct pressure on the major political parties to take this issue of public housing seriously and to stop the rot. And in Victoria, which is the area I'm familiar with, it's fascinating, both the Liberal Party and the Australian Labor Party, which is in power in Victoria, do not like public housing. They've got policies. The Liberal National Party's got a policy of privatising public housing. 
the ALP has a policy of giving away titles of public housing titles to the uh, not to the uh, community social housing sector. Not one, neither the government or the opposition has any policies regarding increasing the amount of resources that go into public housing and creating more public housing stock. Not one. Not one policy. It's all about destroying public housing. It's all about allowing the charitable sector or the private sector, you know, to run the housing game. So the next rally we'll be having outside Parliament House in Victoria is on Wednesday the 8th of February. Wednesday the 8th of February. And why a weekday? A weekday because this is a parliamentary sitting day. Parliament in Victoria sits on the 7th of February and we'll be there on the 8th of February on the steps of Parliament House. We'll have a bevy of speakers not just you know people that are household names, but more importantly, we'll have people who are in the public housing sector, people who are homeless, people who find themselves renting, people who can't get into the housing market, to speak about their experiences. And it is our determination to actually put pressure on the government of the day. Now, the ALP is in all sorts of trouble in Victoria, not because the opposition has any credible policies. It's one of the most lackluster oppositions I've seen since time immemorial. But because of their policies, that's why they find themselves in such a difficult situation. Now, the Greens, the Victorian branch of the Australian Greens, has been snapping at the ALP heels in the inner Melbourne CBD for a number of years and currently holds two seats, Melbourne and Paran. Now, the Victorian Greens have given us an undertaking and have made it a public undertaking that they support public housing. They support the extension of public housing. Now, it's quite possible that a number of ALP members, including ministers, will lose their seats at the next state election if they don't address the issue of public housing. Seats like Richmond, seats like Williamstown, seats like Northcote, Preston, and the list goes on and on. All these inner city seats that are on a knife edge which are held by the ALP, which are held by the ALP because of rusted on ALP voters who are living in public housing estates across the CBD, public housing estates that were built in the 60s and 70s to ensure that people who couldn't afford housing had a roof over their heads. I mean, if we could do it then, we can do it now. So join us at the rally on Wednesday, the 8th of February, on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, Spring Street, Melbourne, midday to 2pm, midday to 2pm. Bring a banner. Bring a sign. Bring yourself Bring your friends, because we may be small currently, but as this issue gains traction, and it will gain traction, we will be there, knocking on the door, demanding change. Because, you see, housing affordability is not just a homeless issue. Homelessness is the tip of the iceberg. 
It is the tip of the iceberg. And if you look at the iceberg, everybody, most people, apart from property investors, are having issues. Whether you're trying to pay a mortgage and two people in a family are working, whether you're trying to pay the rent, whether you're trying to find a, a roof over your head somewhere, it's an issue. It is an ongoing issue. It's a continuing issue for the young and the old. And if you've got a strong public housing sector, it helps everybody. Having more public housing stock puts downward pressure on rents, especially in cheaper apartments and units and houses. Having a strong public housing stock puts downward pressure on housing prices, especially entry-level houses for first-home buyers. Because that's what a mixed economy is all about. And you've heard me use the term mixed economy. A mixed economy is when the private sector doesn't compete amongst itself, forming monopolies and cartels and creating conditions that maximise profits for privately owned corporations and businesses. But a mixed economy occurs when government provides some services within a particular field and the private sector provides the same services. Look at superannuation. You've got industry, not-for-profit superannuation funds and for-profit superannuation funds. See who, who you know outperforms who every year. So it's the same concept. You've got a, a mixed economy. It puts a break on the private sector from gouging profits because they've got no competition. I mean, to claim there is competition within the private sector is ludicrous. What you've got is the creation of duopolies and monopolies, not competition. So a strong, publicly owned, publicly managed housing sector has profound ramifications, positive ramifications for everybody else in this community who's trying to keep a roof over their heads. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. You can leave a message on 0439 395 489. You can write to me. Yes, I do receive letters and I do answer them to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. A few websites you can go to, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest Facebook page. Just put Public Interest Before Corporate Interest and before you know it, you'll be on the Facebook page. You can go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. Uh, you can go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia Facebook page. Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia Facebook page. Bingo, we're there. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano, for the public. And those of you who came to the Tanaminaway Morbohina commemoration on Friday the 20th of January, thank you very much. There are people from all over the country who are attended. It's good to see such a large crowd. And as I said uh, during the live broadcast, we do have uh, a number of issues which we'll be pursuing this year and uh, we'll keep you up to date regarding those issues. But if you want to go to the website, Tunner, T-U-N-N-E-R, mall, M-A-U-L, dot com, tunnermall.com. Okay, you listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3CR 
www.3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can go get access to podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Things are interesting, aren't they? Don't let anybody tell you that, you know, having Donald D. Groper as the president of the US of A is the end of the universe. It's not. I mean, Donald D. Groper is an old-fashioned oligarch, all right? An old-fashioned oligarch. And what he is interested in is what is good for his personal fortune and his family. That's why he's got such good relationships with Mr. Putin, the president of Russia, and the other oligarchs in Russia, which he's got a lot of business associations with. I mean, oligarchs tend to, you know, side with oligarchs. We've got our own oligarchs in Australia. But the two richest Australians own more wealth than the five million poorest Australians, and we've got our own oligarchs. But it's good to see this cohesion, this collective of oligarchs around the world, you know, uh, 65 men and women who own 40% of the uh, world, Earth's wealth. Extraordinary, isn't it? So, look, don't expect much. What he's interested in, what he's putting his fortunes on is very simple. Jobs, irrespective of the economic, social, cultural, environmental issues created. Jobs, jobs, jobs. We've heard the same bullshit here. Jobs, jobs, jobs. And it's interesting. We've got this old-fashioned oligarch who's never paid tax in his life. Otherwise, he'd have no problem, uh, you know, making his tax, uh, income tax, um, you know, public, wouldn't he? Obviously, he's got a problem. He's got things to hide. He's not going to, you know, let people know about it. But, you know, it's interesting if you look at the policies. It's a policies which are going to be directed by some of the richest men, and I'll use the word men, in the United States of America. And what these policies will do is put a few more dollars in their pockets at the expense of the community. And if you think I'm talking bullshit, wait 12 months or 15 months and see what ha- what is happening. Jobs, 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 irrespective of the consequences. That's what it'll all be about. Now, interestingly across the Atlantic in Europe, there is a pre-selection process going on for candidates for the presidential election. And we all know about the rise and rise of the uh, other, the other haters, what I call the other haters, you know, who put all their problems, you know, point at the, you know, some minority and say, if we can get rid of them, we won't have any more problems. Well, the socialist candidate, one of the socialist candidates who I think will get up looking at the numbers, who I'm pretty confident will get up. I've forgotten his name. Been an ignorant old bastard. I've forgotten his name. But the socialist candidate will get up. I and mean, he won't win the presidential election. has got a very interesting policy. And it's a policy which we have raised on this program over the last few weeks. The concept of a living wage. The concept of having a living wage. Now, President de Groper and his cohorts, his little billionaire mates running the economy in the United States of America for their own interests. And that's a fact, not fake news. It's not my fact, it's a real fact. I like that. Facts. Everybody's got facts, haven't they? All right. So he's got an interesting policy because, as I said, last year we had a referendum in in, uh, Switzerland about introducing a living wage for everybody. Now we've got the socialist candidate for the president's election what his major platform is the introduction of a living wage. So what is a living wage? A living wage is providing every 
citizen and resident with a basic wage because they exist, because they are part of that community, not because of what they do or can do. So what a living wage does is gets rid of the bureaucracy, gets rid of the bureaucracy, the social security bureaucracy. No more forms. You exist, living wage. Living wage is a lot of positives about it. The first positive is that you decrease social dislocation because everybody has that potential to use that money to look after their basic human needs. It also helps to decrease the amount of interpersonal and family violence because people aren't economically dependent on somebody else. Because everybody receives that wage, that living wage. Now, you could have a cut-off point. You've got to determine whether it's worth the effort of having a cut-off point. You may not. But there is that concept of a living wage. And why is there the concept of a living wage? Well, it's very simple. We've got a problem. We've got an increase in world population, 7 billion today, 8 billion within 15 years, 10 billion by 2050. An increase in population, increase in mechanisation, not just in terms of 19th century mechanisation, but in terms of the digital age. We will soon reach a situation where you don't need everybody in the community to work. And we have reached that situation in order for that community to function and prosper. So how do you deal with the increasing number of people who don't need to work? Do you create a permanent underclass, which is a breeding ground for crime and social dislocation and interpersonal violence? and family violence? Or do you draw everybody into the tent and you draw everybody into the tent with the concept of a living wage? I mean, some people will waste it, most won't. At least you know that your basic human needs are met and if you want to work, well, you work and if you don't want to work, you don't work. Simple. Get rid of this whole bureaucracy. Get rid of the Social Security Department tomorrow. As I said before, increasing population growth, the digital age, means that we don't need human beings to create wealth. We don't need human beings to do things in order for society to function, expand and prosper. So we need to do something apart from creating useless jobs. Expanding for the sake of expanding to create jobs to keep people occupied so they they can actually uh, take part in the economy and in society. Because that's what we're seeing in the US of A and that's what we see in Australia. We've seen all this kerfuffle and carrying on and all this extra money being poured into the um, pockets of a large corporation, Alcoa, at Portland in Victoria, in order to keep them here. 
to save about 500 jobs or is it 1,000 jobs? But if you've, got a const- if you've got a living wage and you could put legislation in place with that living wage that could actually control rents, you can actually have a control on rents to ensure that people don't exploit you know, the living wage and increase prices because they know everybody's got a, a set amount of money. So there are legislative things you can do in order to manipulate or change the marketplace into such a way that the marketplace is there to satisfy real, not manufactured human needs. Not like today. When you leave it to the private sector, all you get is the satisfaction of manufactured human needs. 47 ways to can tomatoes. So this is an issue which will not go away. It's an issue which is, which is going to take hold. It's a little bit like the problems that the patricians had in Roman society because the plebeians, the Roman citizen, poor or rich, did have certain rights. And as all the loot came in from the wars of conquest across Europe and Asia Minor and Northern Africa, there was no more role for the plebeian. No role for them. No way via which they could actually earn money. They were dispossessed from the, from the countryside as large estates were set up which were run by slaves, which you could think of as the, you know, the new digital age. More and more plebeians were came into Rome, where you had large tenements where people, you know, kind of survived. So what did they do? Subsidised basic foods, subsidised housing, provided entertainment, 150 days of circuses per year, provided entertainment to keep people occupied, stopped them thinking about revolting. So we've got... So the process, this concept is anew. And for us to think that by creating more useless jobs which eat up the environment, that we're going to solve the economic issues and the insecurities that exist by forcing people to take part in wage slavery. You think it's going to resolve? It's not going to resolve. It's going to get worse. So when I see President De Groper and our own Malcolm Turnbull carry on about jobs, 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 I begin to think, these are old people using old thinking. Old thinking. We need a new way via which not only to look at the world, but to deal with real problems which are being created today. Not everybody needs to work in order for a community not only to survive, but to prosper. For one of the first times in human history, we have reached that situation, one of the first times in human history we have reached that situation. Think about it. Change. We need to change the way we look at the social security net. We need to change the way we look at work. We need to change the way we look at citizenship. We need to change the way we look at living. It's not to say that people won't be active. It's not to say that people are not going to do things. 
It's not to say that people are not going to be creative and form community organisations and have to deal with the problems of everyday living. But it's a different way of looking at the way in which you can create a sustainable, fair society. Because what we've seen over the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation and uh, corporatisation revolution that has swept across the globe, we have seen more power and more wealth being concentrated in the hands of fewer and fewer people. To the extent that today, 65 people own 40% of the world's wealth. In Australia, two people, that's right, two, TWO, own more wealth than the poorest 5 million. That's the poorest 20% in this country. And 250,000 people in this country own more wealth than the 18 million. Think about it. Think about it. Extraordinary. And people say, get a job. We don't all need to work anymore. We can actually enjoy ourselves. We can develop ourselves. We can look at ways beyond a monetary return. A living wage for all is a political idea whose time has come. It's a social, it's an innovative social mechanisms by which to tackle the growing number of social issues that beset all post-industrial communities, whether it's Australia, whether it's China, whether it's England. It is a common issue in all these sovereign nation states. And to see major political leaders take this up the concept of a living wage has a major political campaign and a major political reform highlights highlights how important this issue is going to become in a digital age, in an age where human beings no longer are able, not need or able to participate in society because they can't work, because there is no need for them to work for society to not just survive, but prosper. My name is Joseph Lascano. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. We looked at four issues today. We looked at the uh, tragedy in Burke Street and the question about creating a new investigative body which actually looks at the causes which lead up to these tragedies which are becoming all too frequent in our society. We looked at the concept of public housing as a mechanism via which to decrease rent and make housing affordability uh, a viable option for Australians. We looked at the question of public interest before corporate interest in the new political party, which actually wants to put public interest before corporate interest. And last but not least, we've looked at the concept of a living wage in a society where the 
digital age means that not everybody needs to work for a society to function and, more importantly, to prosper. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can go to my personal Facebook page, look at the four bubbles and all the issues that I'm currently involved in. So go to the Facebook page, Toscana, the number four, the public. You can download the application form to join PIPSI from PIPSI, P-I-B-C-I dot net. That's public interest before corporate interest. You can go and look at the Facebook page for public interest before corporate interest. Put it in your search engine, public interest before corporate interest. And hey, presto, there it is. You can go to my own personal Facebook page, Toscana for the public. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can write to us, as I said before, at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. A few websites to look at. Tunner, T-U-N-N-E-R, mall, M-A-U-L, dot com for the Tunner Minoia Mall Bohina celebrations we've just had, 20th of January. Anarchistmedia.org, have a look at uh, what's happening in the world today. Anarchistmedia.org, go to the uh, Pipsy website, pipsy.net, that's public interest before corporate interests, and go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia Facebook page. Look at the activities that uh, that organisation is involved in. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program will be broadcast on your local community radio station next week. If it's the first time you've heard the Anarchist World this week in your vehicle or on the beach or on top of a mountain, remember... Your community radio station could broadcast Anarchist World this week. Find out if you're a member of the community radio network, if the, it is, and ask them, do you, do you broadcast the Anarchist World this week? And if you don't, why not? I'd like to hear it on my local community radio station. Thank you once again to all those people of the community radio network for ensuring the Anarchist World this week is heard across Australia in every state, in every territory, north and south, east and west, and even underwater. Thanks to you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Listen in next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.